So I'm really thrilled that you're joining us today and we've got a good crew here. We've got 60 people live already. We're expecting somewhere around the 200 mark. And that says to me how important burnout is as a topic because it's the hot topic at the moment. I've got HR directors telling me it's one of their biggest concerns for the rest of the year. But what is it? And how do we deal with it? And how can we spot it? And how can we prevent it? And why is it even happening? So what we're going to talk about today is burnout, five ways imposter syndrome triggers it, and what we need to be doing about it now. So you're going to cover what burnout is and what it isn't, because a lot of us get confused over this, and I'm hoping this will really help. Five hidden ways imposter syndrome triggers it. How to spot the early warning signs. This is both for yourself and for team members and colleagues. Why the bridge of coping strategies approach falls apart in times of change. My favorite emergency quick fix that takes under 60 seconds. So you're going to go away with a practical tool to be able to bring burnout down for yourself or for team members. Why resilience is such a dirty word. This is a really big issue right now. And then I'm going to teach you my five step process, the natural resilience method that you can go and start applying today. The Soul Led Leaders podcast is for corporate leaders who are making waves and changing the rules with their hearts, not just their heads. But they know that their secret 3am self-talk is getting in the way. Where others stress about the status quo, you're the action taker who drives the changes and making a difference in being a crusader is hardwired into your DNA. The Soul Led Leader podcast is here to help. Led by Claire Yosa, law changer, eight times author and international speaker, each episode is designed to help you to clear out the secret glass ceilings you never realized you'd put in your own way so that you can step up showing up with all of who you really are and reclaim your power to make the difference you know you are really here to make in the world with clarity, confidence and passion. So I'd love to hear from you via the chat. Does that sound like that would be useful? Give me a yes. Yeah. And I'm just gonna make sure, cause I've got, I'm not sure if you're seeing me on the screen. One moment, I'm just spotlighting myself. There you go. Perfect, got lots of yeses, brilliant. So, <clears throat> there we go. So if you don't know me yet, I'm the author of eight books. I've spent the past 20 years specializing in helping people to get out of their own way, clearing those self-imposed glass ceilings. And I have a passion for burnout because when I was 19, I burnt out for the first time. And those of us who've burnt out, it won't be uncommon for us to have had that experience of doing it more than once. I burnt out, I was at university, I pushed on through too much, I was living in rubbish accommodation with no heating, and I ended up with ME that took me years to recover from. And even now I have to watch my energy quite closely. And I've spent the last 30 or so years developing techniques to be able to spot and prevent burnout so that other people don't have to go through what I went through. So what is burnout? <clears throat> so officially it's a state of mental exhaustion caused by chronic prolonged stress that also has mental and emotional exhaustion. But here's really important, you don't need to wait until somebody is literally unable to work before dealing with burnout. So a lot of us think burnout is, right, I'm in hospital with something seriously wrong with me or I physically cannot do my job anymore. That chronic exhaustion, mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, physical exhaustion, that sleep does nothing to touch, where it's hard to get our work done, it's hard to concentrate, it's hard to think straight. We're on our knees, we're holding our breath, we're pushing on through. Burnout is a sliding scale 
most of us don't do anything about it until we're pretty much at that hospitalizer blend. And yet right from the beginning of burnout, it starts to impact our performance, our productivity, our happiness, our mental health, our relationships, and our physical health. So it is a condition that can be diagnosed by a clinician, but usually your GP or specialist won't diagnose it until you're so far down the line that the only way to stop it is being off work long-term. What I want to do today is teach you tools that work much further up the line so you don't have to go anywhere near that. So what the data says, there's surprisingly little research into burnout. This is a report from Deloitte back in 2015, so it's a few years old now, but even back then, 77% had experienced burnout in their current job. 42% have left a job due to burnout, and 70% felt their employer was not doing enough to prevent it. Now, you add in this little thing called COVID-19 and a global pandemic and turning upside down the way we all work and so many of us working remotely and juggling everything and the uncertainty and the stress. If we were to repeat that research right now, I'm pretty sure what we would see is burnout risk has gone through the roof. And this goes so far beyond employee well-being. This is about people's actual ability to do their jobs, as we'll see in a minute. It's impacting relationships, physical health, absenteeism. The, the cost of burnout is huge and there's so much we can do to prevent it. So I wanna start with a really big myth about burnout is that it's a sign of weakness. I don't see burnout as a sign of weakness. I see it as a sign of having been strong for too long. Those of you who've had experience with burnout or you know people who've had burnout, I'd love to hear from you. Do you resonate with this? Yeah, is burnout doesn't happen to weak people, it happens to strong people. Give me a yes via the chat if you're here with us live on this, yeah? It's a sign of having been too strong for too long. That's brilliant, lots of yeses here. And by the way, if with any of these questions I'm asking, you want to direct message me, if you're watching this live with us on Zoom, feel free. I can then read out your comment. I still won't be mentioning your name. Yeah, you just push on through regardless. Yes, definitely, 100%. So another thing about burnout, my nine-year-old went on a school trip to the Living Rainforest here in the UK a couple of weeks ago. And one of his favorite things about that trip was seeing an animal that's quite rare to see moving, the sloth or sloth, depending how you want to pronounce it. It's a scone scone thing here in the UK, yeah? He saw a sloth and he absolutely loved the sloth because the idea for him at the age of being nine of being able to spend the whole day kind of tucked up in bed and hardly moving. And when you do move, it's that deliciously slow movement, yeah? So many of us only have two speeds, Formula One and Sloth. And this is part of the problem. We think if we stop pushing, if we stop racing, if we stop fighting, if we stop being all in on the busyness and the doing, that we'll turn into a Sloth and we'll never get anything done. The opposite of burnout is not doing nothing. The opposite of burnout is being in total alignment and being able to flow through life so that things don't feel like a fight. So you're in balance, you're no longer pushing on through regardless. You're just able to get stuff done without the drama and you have that sense of balance inside. So 
yeah, I burned out about seven years ago. Looking back, it was a chance to stop and start again with a different purpose. This can definitely happen. Okay, I'm struggling keeping going through unemployment, not those working impacted. That's a really important point. So burnout can happen for any of us in any situation. And we're going to cover in a minute that there are three driving factors that lead to this. And before we get there, I want to talk about the difference between stress and anxiety because they're two words that we use interchangeably but clinically they actually have different meanings. Stress, so the sympathetic nervous system fight flight freeze response is something that happens triggered by an external event and when that event has passed the stress goes. So it might be that we've got too much work on and it triggers our stress response and when the workload comes down the stress goes and we're okay. Anxiety is triggered internally. It's our worries and our thoughts and our biochemical reactions in response potentially to external stresses, but also in response to what we're telling ourselves about it, those mind stories that we're talking and discussing. And the thing with anxiety is when the trigger event has finished, the anxiety continues. So if we look at the example of a presentation, Somebody might feel stressed about a presentation because they've got to do lots of research, pull in inputs from different departments, and they can feel their stress levels rising. But when the presentation is done, the stress goes. With anxiety, they'll have that same stress. But when the presentation is done, they'll still be feeling that stress and anxiety because they'll be what if and what if I didn't say that, say that and I should have done the other. And what if they ask me to do this again and we start worrying already about a future presentation that may never even happen. Stress on its own doesn't lead to burnout. It's anxiety. It's where the source of the stress becomes inside us based on what's happening outside. Because that stress response, that fight, flight, freeze, is designed to protect us from the saber-toothed tiger. It's designed to last for minutes, not months. And it's meant to come down. Literally, as soon as the tiger's gone, we're meant to go, yeah, rather than worrying about, well, what if the tiger comes back? So the difference between stress and anxiety is key to being able to spot burnout in ourselves and in team members and to be able to start taking action on it. So imposter syndrome's role, the reason I wanted to run this session today is because there is a very strong correlation between people running imposter syndrome and people who are struggling with burnout. And imposter syndrome, if you know my work already, you'll know all about imposter syndrome because it's, it's one of the main things I teach is how to set yourself free from it. If you're new to my work, imposter syndrome is the secret fear of being found out by others as not good enough. It's that, who am I to be doing this? What if they realize I'm a fraud? What if they find out they made a mistake hiring me? The other way I define it with my clients is imposter syndrome is the secret fear of others judging us the way we're judging ourselves. So if somebody's running imposter syndrome, there are five ways this can impact burnout. And in the 2019 imposter syndrome research study, we found that 52% of female respondents and 49% of male respondents had st struggled with it daily or regularly in the past year. So it's a really big issue in the workplace. And we're working on the 2021 study at the moment. And what we're finding is that the frequency and severity of imposter syndrome has gone through the roof as a result of the stress of COVID and sudden remote working. So imposter syndrome is a really big factor in the workplace. And it's one of the core drivers for burnout. So the four P's of imposter syndrome. These are the first four 
of five hidden factors I want to share with you today. The first one is perfectionism. So this is a stress response often triggered by imposter syndrome. In the research study, 16% of respondents said, yay, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, 52% showed perfectionist type behaviors when imposter syndrome struck. So in the context of burnout, this is setting our standards incredibly high so they're almost unachievable and then writing it off as fluke if we actually achieve them. So one of the things you're looking for in the workplace is somebody maybe who suddenly starts working super long hours because they've set their standards so high they can't achieve them in a normal working day. The next one is procrastination. So this is busyness. This is filling our time with everything else so we don't have to face the project that's triggering imposter syndrome. Anybody here ever procrastinate, yeah? <laughs> I've got some great hand raising. Yeah, all the time, fantastic. So procrastination, we are super busy. And you can imagine if we're adding in more and more things to avoid doing that thing that's putting us off, that that's gonna really lead to exhaustion, overwhelm and burnout. The third way imposter syndrome can get in the way is what we call project paralysis. We discovered this in the research study. So this is that classic, I'm gonna pretend that that project can't see me, it doesn't exist. And I was talking about this with a client yesterday, somebody on my Stepping Up to Lead program, and she described it brilliantly as just, I do absolutely nothing on it, I don't read emails on it, I pretend it's not there, and then I have to pull an all-nighter to get it done. I use the adrenaline of the deadline to push on through. So the project paralysis, 53% of people had done this regularly in the past year. And the fourth P is people pleasing. This might be going into a meeting with one set of priorities and coming out with another. This might be volunteering for work that isn't really our job in order to feel like we belong in our tribe. And when we did the research study, we found this maps perfectly with the body's stress response, that sympathetic nervous system. Perfectionism is the fight. I'm going to slay that project. I am going to do the best presentation or pitch or proposal that's ever been done. I'm going to set my standards so high and I'm going to war with this. Procrastination is the flight. We're busy. We're running. We're taking up that energy. We're moving. We're stuck in busyness, but we're not necessarily making progress towards the actual goal. Project paralysis is the freeze, that classic rabbit in headlights. And then the people pleasing is a new category, fawning. Okay, this is the equivalent of stroking the saber-toothed tiger's nose, telling it it's got beautiful brown eyes and asking it not to bite us. So the four P's of imposter syndrome are really important in the burnout cycle because can you imagine how each of these four P's, perfectionism, procrastination, project paralysis and people pleasing, will impact the amount of work we're doing? And if we're running these and we're stuck in that sympathetic nervous system, that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, this has an impact on the body, as we'll see in a minute with the fifth factor. It means that we're wired for chronic stress. It's harder to think straight. It's harder to perform at our best. It triggers that anxiety response that can lead to burnout. And it makes it hard for us to be able to even function day to day with the simple tasks that were previously never a problem. So on the four Ps, how many of those do you recognize in yourself? So we've got, this is totally me, all of them, all of them, all of them, yeah, all of the above, fantastic, all four. The brilliant news is they're not permanent. 
we weren't born with the four P's of imposter syndrome. And some of the strategies I'll be sharing today, you can use a oh, full house, fantastic. Some of the strategies we'll be covering today, you can actually use to start setting yourself free from this. If you are a line manager or a leader, what you're looking for in your team members as early warning signs of burnout is changes in these. Particularly if somebody gets given a new project or they get promoted or they suddenly have a chance to be more visible and you suddenly see these behaviors becoming more common for them, that is the sign that you need to have a talk with them and see how you can support them because it might be that imposter syndrome is going to be triggering burnout for them. So the fifth core driver for imposter syndrome triggering burnout is something called hypervigilance. This is where we are wired to look for threats. Obviously, the human brain and body prioritize looking for threats over goals because avoiding threats is the reason why the race has survived for so many thousands of years. But what happens with hypervigilance is something called the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis gets stuck wired on. So this is part of the nervous system that controls how much cortisol and adrenaline floods through the body. As I said earlier, that fight, flight, freeze sympathetic nervous system response is due to last, it's meant to last minutes. And so many of us have spent months actually experiencing this low grade chronic stress. It's, it's basically us, we're looking for threats everywhere. And so what happens here is you might get an email in from somebody, read the tone of voice and that bit in your brain that's wired, the primal part going, is this safe? will read as a threat when actually it's just that that person might have been in a hurry or email might not be their preferred means of communication. It's about looking for the threats and the dangers. And when we're hardwired all the time to perceive them, what happens is that's constantly triggering a stress response and it's constantly feeding anxiety and worry. Fear of criticism is another aspect of hypervigilance. So feedback, constructive criticism, performance reviews, you know, throwaway comments in a meeting, all of this can be taken very personally. And for somebody who's running imposter syndrome and on their way to burnout, it can, be feel, it can feel like a real threat. It can be really devastating. I was talking with somebody who was interviewing me on a podcast the other day, and he was saying that for him, he can, if he gets a compliment, he's on a high for about an hour or two. If he gets constructive criticism or feedback, it can knock his confidence for a week, yeah? So this is another key factor here, driven by imposter syndrome, that can trigger burnout. Because if you can imagine, if we're scared of being criticized, how that will change how we work, how it changes the stories we tell ourselves, that chronic stress load increases again. And then fear of rejection. This has been a really big factor during remote working because we've lost our tribes, not just in the workplace, for so many of us, we've lost our friend support networks, our family support networks. We need to belong as human beings. We're not designed to thrive on our own. Even those of us like me who are really massive introverts who need that quiet downtime, we still also need contact with people. And so what I've been noticing is people holding back even more than usual from things like stepping up to be visible in the workplace or in their business because we're scared of being rejected. And lockdown has amplified that for us. 
So how imposter syndrome primes us for burnout? As I said, this fight, flight, freeze, fawn stress mechanism gets stuck on. That HPA axis goes out of balance. So what happens in a typical day is something will make people's stress levels rise. And then what the body's designed for is that stress to come back down, but it doesn't because something else then happens that makes it rise a bit more. And then something else, and then something else. And by the end of the day, our stress levels are at kind of DEFCON 1, and the only way to bring them back down is by diving into a bottle of something. And then we repeat that the next day. And if our stress levels are up here when we go to bed, and this is chronic stress, so we might not even notice that we're stressed. If you're this stressed when you go to bed, the likelihood of getting a good night's sleep is really low, and that can make the cycle even worse. Is there any questions or thoughts or comments so far on what we've covered before I move into the next section and we start looking at warning signs and solutions? Do you recognize any of this in the burnout that you're seeing in yourself or in your teams or your loved ones and your friends and colleagues? Any questions before we move on? <clears throat> That's great. Keep them coming if, if they come up for you. So what we found in the research we've been doing this year, and it, to be honest, isn't surprising if we think about it, is the vast majority of people with burnout are also running imposter syndrome. Okay, because it's what's driving us to push ourselves so hard. And this is one of the keys in burnout is we get out of flow and into forcing. What I mean by being in flow, I don't mean passively experiencing life. I mean, have you ever had that feeling like, where suddenly everything falls into place and you lose hours of time, but you achieve something. You think, wow, how did I get all of that done? And you just feel totally aligned. Yeah. That is flow. What's happening with burnout is we're forcing, we're pushing, we're pushing on through. We're using that adrenaline and that cortisol that damages the body, that causes mental health issues, emotional issues. And we're using that to force results instead of being able to line up and flow through results. Okay, so I'm concerned that a very close relative has all of these symptoms. Great, ask them to watch this masterclass. There's plenty we can do. And there's a 60 second technique I'm gonna teach you in a moment that's perfect for when that stress is doing this, for bringing it straight back down in under 60 seconds. It's a common early warning signs. In the research that we've done over the last couple of months, this is what we've been seeing. We've been asking people who've been burning out. We've been asking their line managers and leaders. And I'd love to hear from you if you're here with us live, if there are any other warning signs of, of burnout that you're seeing. So productivity nosediving, declining quality of work, depressed thoughts, processes and procedures slip, priorities get blurred. Somebody becomes a difficult person, yeah, dealing with difficult people. It's harder to concentrate. You might get volatile, have a short fuse at work or at home and feel really irritable. Mental emotional exhaustion, information overload, poor performance, the ultimate leaving the company there, bad judgment calls, everything feels urgent and critical, can't manage the daily workload, not taking downtime, getting ill, making mistakes, physical exhaustion, anxiety, migraines and time off sick. Okay, crying all the time. I know I've definitely had that one is feeling, feeling like you're constantly on the edge of tears and that terror of if I actually cry, will I ever stop? Yeah. And yet you're still attending Zoom meetings and you're still putting together project proposals. Yeah. This is really important stuff here. 
okay, I've had all of this, you know, crippling spiral of self-doubt and it leads to a terrible feeling of being a failure. How do I deal with this? So this is really important because we're in that negative state and we're constantly looking for threats. It makes all of this so much worse. So the person who's put that comment in, please email me afterwards and I'll send you my resource pack to help with that, okay? But what we're gonna be covering in this session will definitely help too. Yeah, menopause on top for some really isn't helpful. And it's something that's something I'm also very passionate about because the impact that the hormonal changes in menopause have are huge and it can make burnout so much more likely. Yep feeling less professional, being you know, self-sabotage, okay, completing tasks without even realizing, panicking that something isn't done. Absolutely. Do I have solutions for people that are burnt out? How do I come out the other side? Yes, I absolutely do have solutions and that's some of what we'll be talking about today. I've burnt out, as I say, on more than one occasion because I didn't know how to spot the warning signs and my personality type is very driven. <laughs> I didn't understand that if I try and make the world shift based on my energy, that is an incredibly fast way to end up utterly exhausted. So the bridge of coping strategies. We have our coping strategies to keep on going through. The challenge that we have is in times of change, we need different coping strategies. Sticky plasters, as I often say, they, they fall off eventually. So rather than just dealing with the symptoms of burnout, what we actually need to do is look at the behavior underneath. What's driving this? What is making me behave in a way that means I'm starting to feel burnt out? What is, for example, busyness doing for me? And this is why I love working with people at the root cause level you know, to understand what was driving that perfectionism or that procrastination or that project paralysis, because when you can deal with that root cause trigger, you don't need any of that surface level behavior before, like again. But where we need to start is helping people to bring their stress levels down in practical ways, helping them being able to choose which thoughts to feed so that a simple external trigger doesn't suddenly create a negative spiral that adds to the burnout risk. And that's what we'll be looking at today as the five-step process to be able to do that. So my research has shown there are three core drivers of burnout. The first one is the environment. So this is the physical environment. And if we're looking at it from a work point of view, it might be the working environment. These days, it might be the home environment. Yes, somebody, one person might have a working environment at home that's really supportive. Their family understands boundaries. The children don't complain about the fact that lunch is late. Yeah that other people might be sitting on their bed terrified that their boss is judging them for having their dressing gown showing in the background with traffic noise and with an extroverted family that's constantly bouncing in onto calls. If we're looking at hybrid working, then one of the issues here in the working environment <clears throat> is we're going to be having a lot of hot desking because people are coming in on different days. The working environment is going to look and feel different. People have potentially got used to having some creature comforts around them as they were working, and that's all going to be changing. And there's a lot more fear coming into our environment at the moment as we head into the office. I know a lot of people are very concerned, for example, about having to take their commuter trains and tubes. So it's looking at that environment and how that can drive burnout. Yeah, when I'm working here in our office in Salisbury, I absolutely love being in central Salisbury. We're a couple of hundred meters from the cathedral here, which is fantastic. But 
there's almost always building works going on. There's almost always roadworks going on. And that for me can be an environmental trigger for burnout because I need peace and quiet to work. When I'm at my office in Sussex, I'm in a recording studio that's soundproofed, which is kind of my idea of working heaven, yeah? So it's thinking about the environment. The next one is the culture, and this comes with two facets. One is the culture of your upbringing or the country that you're living in. Different cultures are more or less likely to trigger burnout. If you're in a culture where working really, really hard and being compared to people and judged if you're lacking is prevalent, you're more likely to burn out because you're gonna keep trying and pushing even once your batteries are empty. The corporate culture, what are the expectations of people? How are we supposed to respond? How are we managing workload? The culture is a vital part of preventing burnout. And the third factor is our habits. And our habits, they don't just start randomly. They're driven by the thoughts that we think. Those thoughts are influenced by what we believe. How does the world work? What can we or can't we do? Going beneath that is to our values, what's important to us. And right at the bottom, our sense of self. Who am I? We can make differences in our environment. We can work together to change the company culture. And where we have most influence as individuals is actually with those habits, which is what I want to cover today. But before we do, <clears throat> there is an elephant in the room. Okay. And I need to talk about this one because this one is really bugging me at the moment. I'm seeing so many companies talking about well-being, have an extra few days off, you know, whatever they can do to try and foster well-being and prevent burnout. But corporate culture, not every company, but in many companies is actually what's driving burnout. And I'd love to hear from you. This is anonymous if you're with us live, okay? Are you aware of any companies who are doing this? So on the one hand, it's like bringing in yoga, giving people free access to mindfulness apps, all that kind of thing. On the other hand, you've got to have a certain response time to emails. And we've suddenly got Microsoft Teams that pings at us every couple of minutes. And if we don't respond to that ping within X number of minutes, it gets escalated to our boss, who then comes down like a ton of bricks. And you know, we're told just work and get what get done what you can, we're going to be flexible, but nobody's actually taken away the projects. Nobody has changed the goals. So people are still having to push on through. This culture is massively triggering overwhelm. It's massively triggering burnout. People are surviving. They are coping. They're already, many people are utterly exhausted because of the stress and the uncertainty that we've just been through in the last 15 months. And the corporate culture has changed so much. I've, I've lost count of the number of my clients who say my meetings start at eight o'clock in the morning, they finish at six, and then I can look at what work I can get done. And companies wonder why people are burning out. So as we're making this shift for office workers into hybrid working, whatever that means for each organization, we also need to be deeply looking at the corporate culture. When we went remote, it was so much easier to schedule a meeting because you didn't have to fly people in from all over the world. You didn't have to book a meeting room and meetings just became the norm. What can we do to reduce the number of meetings, to actually give people time to get their work done, to remove the constant interruption of pinging and notifications, 
to be able to help people flow because it's been shown by researchers that every interruption, particularly if it's a, a, an auditory interruption like a ping, yeah, and I know some organizations, you're not actually allowed to turn the sounds off, you're required to be pinged and notice. It can take up to 15 minutes to get back into flow. So you can imagine what that does for productivity. And a lot of people, if they know that if they don't respond within a certain time, that their boss will then give them grief, that triggers the stress response, that fear response, that hypervigilance. So, okay, this is so true. So many companies think having a few beanbags fixes the culture. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else have we got here? Yep, there's a number of organizations where this is a real problem, hoping the senior managements are taking, taking notes. Thank you, wonderful session, by the way. It's very easy to say, have some time off, have a holiday, but very difficult to do when the work needs doing. So this is one of the other things the Deloitte report found is that people who were burnt out were really struggling to actually book their holiday days, either because they were forcing themselves to push on through or because they were actually under pressure of expectations from their leaders to get things done and postpone their holidays. So they simply being told to take more time off. They weren't even taking the time off that they were entitled to each year. Okay, yeah, I put pressure on myself to keep achieving and I feel guilty if I slow down. Yeah, no extra hands, limited resource. Okay. Okay, the company response to increasing stress was to tell us to prioritize and reduce our work by 10% but everything was still essential. It was words, not actions. So if you know my work, you'll know that I'm not about pity parties. I'm about what can we do? Okay. The reason I've raised this is this is an elephant in the room. We are about to have a massive surge in burnout and there is an enormous human cost of this. And those of us who are in a position to influence to have an impact in our organization, need to be speaking up about this now. So for example, I have a course called the Natural Resilience Method that helps to prevent burnout and also helps to press pause on imposter syndrome because the two are so tightly linked. One of the decisions we've made as an organization is I will not agree to a corporation buying bulk tickets for the Natural Resilience Method program unless I can also work with them on the culture that means that people feel they need to be resilient because we need to be able to address all of those three factors, the environment, the culture, and what's happening inside us to be able to help people escape burnout and be able to perform to their best. So this is another factor here then, is burnout is not just a mindset thing. Your body gets addicted. So the adrenaline, the cortisol that we use to push on through is something that our cells come to need. And once they come to need it, they will do whatever they can to get more of it. So for example, if we're addicted to the adrenaline and the cortisol, that rush, yeah, then if we start to relax, your brain will actually trigger thoughts to create drama, to create more adrenaline and cortisol. And the fix that we get from the adrenaline and cortisol will eventually not be enough. So we will do whatever's needed to create even more. And this is why it's so important to be able to address that third pillar. We've got the environment, we've got the culture, but what am I doing to create my experience of burnout? And how has my body got addicted to that? So when I work with people on preventing burnout, and I actually do this for my imposter syndrome work as well, it's not just about mindset. It's about getting into the body and releasing the body's unconscious addiction 
the stress hormones that would otherwise keep us stuck perpetuating that behavior. So I wanna do an exercise with you all now, and this is something that you can do safely with a team member, you can do it for yourself. You know, we talked about the stress goes up and up and up, and it's about bringing it down, okay? So one quick question we've got here is, I see this a lot in my 12-year-old, which is worrying. Is it usual to see these behaviors in someone so, so young? I'm seeing, I do work with schools. I'm seeing this a lot in school children at the moment because of the stress they've been through over the last 15 months and the uncertainty. And also because of the pressure that they're feeling on exam results and constantly having their performance measured. So this technique that we're about to do works brilliantly with children too. And 12 is a great age to be able to use it because they can cognitively get it. So who would like to be able to reset that stress response in under 60 seconds? Give me a yes via the chat if that includes you. Fantastic, me, yes, hell yes, great. Thank you. That's a relief. Okay. So this is audience participation time. And I'm going to assume that you're not currently driving or operating machinery. If you are, don't do this exercise right now. Do it later because I'm going to be asking you to close your eyes in a moment. Okay. So I invite you to put your feet flat on the floor. Okay. No cross legs. Yep. Give everything a shuffle if you need to. So you can sit there with your back fairly straight. And if you're listening to this on the replay on the podcast and you're out for a walk or a run, maybe just stand next to a tree or something so people think you're looking at something so you can just stand still. And then with your hands by your sides or in your lap, just take a moment to notice how your body's feeling. Where are the areas of tension? And then if it feels comfortable for you, closing your eyes, I'm gonna start with three deep sighing breaths, breathing in through the nose and out with a sigh. One more time, breathing in. And again, breathing in. And now I invite you just to spend the next few moments with your eyes softly closed, noticing the physical movement in your body as you breathe. And if your mind wanders, that's absolutely fine. Just gently guide it back to watching the physical sensations of breathing. And then softly moving your attention to an area of tension in your body. Wherever that might be, it might be your stomach, your back, your shoulders, your jaw, your neck, your eyes, wherever. Pick one area of tension. 
And imagine as you breathe in that a soft, warm, golden light gently fills that area. And as you breathe out, you just give that area permission to let go and to soften and relax. Breathing in soft, warm, golden light, that sense of warmth and safety. Breathing out, I give myself permission to let go, to relax and to be here now. And just continue that in your own time for your next few breaths. And then when you're ready, I invite you to move your attention to the soles of your feet, to become aware of the points of contact between them and the floor. With each in-breath, saying to yourself, I am here now. And with each out-breath, breathing out through the soles of your feet into the earth beneath you, letting go of any stress or tension or worry. Breathing in, I am here now. Breathing out, letting go of any stress, tension or worry through your feet into the earth. And you can continue this in your own pace for the next few breaths. And as you prepare to let go of this practice, knowing you can come back to this at any point, I invite you to take some slightly deeper breaths in your belly area, breathing in more deeply, breathing out more deeply, and keeping your eyes softly closed, allowing the corners of your mouth to gently ever so slightly move towards your ears. I am here now. Opening your eyes, thanking yourself for the audience participation, for going through that process with me. And I'd love to hear from you via the chat. What has shifted for you in your body? What has shifted for you in your thoughts? And what has shifted for you in your emotions? So calm and relaxed, calmer. Anybody found their thoughts slowed down? or maybe change tone, yeah? Definitely calmer. What we've been doing here in that couple of minutes is resetting the nervous system. A bit sleepy, so if you're sleepy, a great thing to do at this point is some deeper breaths and a big stretch and a yawn, and that wakes up the body. Maybe give yourself a little shake, okay? So what we're doing is we're resetting the adrenaline and cortisol response. It's one of the huge drivers for burnout is being stuck with that on being able to bring that back down into balance so you can be relaxed but alert. So we're not heading towards my nine-year-old's favorite pet sloth. We are looking for relaxed and alert here. It's being able to concentrate. 
That simple process brings the stress response down. If somebody who is struggling with burnout could do that five or six times a day, whenever they notice those thoughts of how am I going to get all of this done or I'm just too tired, it brings that stress response down. When you are really exhausted, there are techniques we can use as well that can naturally energize you without needing to go for the caffeine and the sugar that so many of us would would reach for. It's bringing the stress levels down multiple times a day, 60 seconds at a time. If you do this for one minute, it resets the body stress response. And this also helps to release the physiological addiction to the adrenaline and the cortisol. You would start to see shifts in just the next week. Okay, I really like it. However, I also find I don't have time during work as helpful as it would be. So here's when I do this, when I'm waiting for a kettle to boil, okay? Or, you know, there'll be, there'll be 60 second moments, yeah, that we can make the time. Because when we do this, we then suddenly get more done in the next section of what we've got to do. And each of us, I know, I get it, I get that we're pushed on through, that, you know, that there's like a 10 hour straight where we don't even get to pee some days, yeah? Once you've got anchored in this technique, it's the kind of thing that you can use without having to close your eyes. You can just do the breathing. You can be there in a meeting, know that maybe in the next couple of minutes you don't need to be actively involved, and you can just do the breathing. So make sure you're on mute, yeah? Because otherwise people think there's a heavy breather on the line. There are ways, and when we get anchored into this, it becomes easier for us to prioritize it, yeah? So maybe there could be a meeting that we say, right, okay, I'm running this meeting, we're gonna finish two minutes early, and I am taking that time to do my breathing, yeah? I'm coming down. Maybe we've managed to grab some lunch, before we eat, we just spend 60 seconds bringing the stress levels down. It's about finding the way to spend one minute because we're worth that minute. And the payback to the organization of us taking that minute is huge. And the payback to our physical, mental and emotional health on taking that minute is huge. And it's making that commitment is, I don't wanna get burnt out. If I'm burnt out, I'm no use to anybody. And it's a sliding scale, but how far down that scale do I want to go before I say, you know what, I'm going to take a minute. And you can buddy up with people. You can have someone who WhatsApps you. Right, let's do our minute, yeah? Bringing it down. And the absolute, if we only do this once a day, the time to do this technique is when you switch your computer off at the end of the day, is make that next minute, that next two minutes, where you bring your stress levels down and notice how it changes your evening, okay? So really liked it. Yeah, I've done it before. Meditation and mindfulness course makes me want to go to sleep. So if, if things like this make you sleepy, that's a sign that without the cortisol and adrenaline, your batteries are empty. So for somebody in that position, there are loads of things that we can do to naturally boost your energy levels. But first we need to bring the stress cortisol down. So why resilience is such a dirty word? I've been working with a number of organizations over the past 15 months actually running natural resilience training. And one of them said to me, we don't think anybody's gonna come on this session, Claire, because they've told us if we tell them to be resilient, they're gonna quit, yeah? Resilience is all about bouncing back. Resilience is all about pushing on through. It's all about pretending that that brown stuff didn't happen. That is not the kind of resilience that I support and teach. What I talk about instead is being naturally resilient so that you've done the work on the environment and the culture and inside, so there's less to bounce back from. 
So what often happens with resilience is toxic positivity. Something awful happens and everybody pretends the next day it was no big deal. And so you've got somebody sitting in the corner of the Zoom room going, but actually it was a really big deal for me and I didn't sleep last night and I'm exhausted today and I'm finding it hard to function. And it leaves us feeling that we're somehow damaged and broken and different. It leaves us denying the experience we've been through and that can actually make it more likely that somebody will push on through and end up burnt out. So burnout happens when we're out of alignment. <clears throat> I talked earlier about this flow, being in flow, doing our best work, actually really enjoying it, having that right balance of energy for work and energy for non-work stuff. When that gets out of kilter and we start pushing and forcing and fighting, this is when we burn out, those batteries end up empty. So what I teach instead is how to rewire the brain for those thoughts and rewire the body to be able to cut your stress levels, to boost your confidence, to prevent burnout. And because of the work I do and the similarities between the drivers for burnout and imposter syndrome, stop imposter syndrome too. And it's all about calming that inner pendulum. Yeah. And it took me about 15 years to learn this. I studied to be a meditation teacher, then a yoga teacher. I had to do masses of practice. I was already an NLP trainer doing all of the practical psychology. I've done energy work. I'm a Reiki master teacher. I do EFT, so tapping emotional freedom technique. It took me decades looking for an answer to be able to prevent burnout. And then over the last five years, really understanding how to bring the core elements of that together. What I teach with natural resilience is how to get your inner pendulum so grounded that when the stuff happens outside, it no longer knocks you for six. There's not as much to bounce back from. It's like you have an immunity to other people's stress and you're able to stay in that courageous alignment with who you really are. Just get your stuff done without being dragged into the drama and the emotions. So I call this the natural resilience method. So instead of bouncing back, we're no longer knocked for six. That pendulum doesn't swing as much. Instead of having to push on through, we're able to flow instead of fighting. Instead of pretending that everything's okay, we're able to be real. Yeah, that genuine, authentic leadership. Instead of coping, and that bridge of coping strategy is potentially falling down, we're able to do all of this with ease and grace. And we shift from surviving to thriving by building that natural inner resilience so that the outside world, the environment and the culture have less impact. And the inside world, our self-talk, the biochemical reactions, the body's addictions to those hormones, don't leave us looking for the drama, the stress and the fight. So here's what we do for natural resilience. There are five key steps. The first step, is pressing pause. That's an example we've just done with that breathing technique of pressing pause. When you change gear in a car, those of you who've driven cars with gear sticks, like me in the UK, rather than automatics, you'll know you have to go from one gear to the other by going through neutral. If you try to go from say first to third without going through neutral, firstly, luckily engineers like me mean it's impossible, but if you could achieve it, you'd have a very, very expensive repair bill. And I know when I started my driving lessons, it was something I tried regularly and my poor driving instructor really, really despaired. We have to go through neutral, that pressing pause on the immediate stress 
because if you try to change what you're thinking or do something different and you're absolutely up here, the body is so wired for the hypervigilance and looking out for threats, it's not going to let you make change. So being able to press pause in that moment multiple times a day, and there are techniques that once you're into them and you're anchored in them, the body can do it nearly instantly, brings that stress level down to help us then actually feel in a space where we can do something about the various factors that were triggering burnout. Step two is about rewiring your brain, turning your inner critic into a genuine cheerleader, not kind of Pollyanna pretending whitewashing, but rewiring the neural pathways with strategies that help you to break the cycle between a trigger and the burnout stress response or mind story drama or inner drama queen or inner drama king. Being able to rewire your brain, the reticular activating system that filters information from the outside world, so we spot what we're doing well, not just beating ourselves up. Being able to rewire the brain so it doesn't automatically pop back to the amygdala and primal part of the brain every time it sees an external threat in an email, but instead it has that calm perspective. Because when we can choose which thoughts to feed, and I know that for some people watching this or listening to this, you might be thinking that's cloud cuckoo land, but it's not. It's really easy to do if you just do practice and you've got the techniques like my ABC technique, rewiring the brain immediately has a positive effect for reducing the stress levels, making burnout less likely, and changing our behaviours. It's part of what sets us free from those four Ps of imposter syndrome. The third step, rewiring your body, retraining the nervous system to break that cycle, that addiction, that unconscious addiction to the stress, to the cortisol, to the adrenaline, so that we are able to physically relax as well as mentally relax. And those two combined allow us to emotionally relax. It gets us off the emotional roller coaster. Then, because you're grounded and you've been dealing with the self-talk and the mind story drama and all of that, it's then about reclaiming your personal power by resetting toxic boundaries. That might be, it's different for each of us, it might be a work boundary, it might be relationship boundaries, it might be habits that we've got into, boundaries with ourselves. And then step five, flowing, not forcing. That doesn't mean being a passive person in life. It's about realising that we don't have to fight the whole time. This is what the cortisol and adrenaline do, is they prime us to fight. This is then about creating new habits for life, so you no longer have to be burnt out. So those are the five core steps of the natural resilience method. Pressing pause, rewiring your brain, rewiring your body, resetting toxic boundaries, and flowing, not forcing. If you want to do this together, this isn't a pitch, it's just letting you know it's there. I have two options. I've got my natural resilience method, which prevents burnout, it slashes your stress levels, and it also presses pause on imposter syndrome. And the next round of that starts in September. And that is a six week program that guides you step by step in, in ways that are super simple, even for those of us who are very time poor, to be able to go from at high risk of burnout to actually being able to get into flow. 
The other way is my imposter syndrome first aider training where you do the natural resilience method training and then you learn how to support other people with that. So that's with that's ideal for line managers, leaders, HR teams, somebody who wants to be the person that can offer more than tea and sympathy if somebody is struggling with this. If you're interested, if today has inspired you and you want to know more, um, you can get on the waiting list for those programs. You can go to clareyosa.com forward slash natural resilience. And you can text the word burnout if you're in the UK to 01886 211040. And the places on that are gonna be limited when we go live in September. If you've signed up before September, you're actually gonna get a mini series from me over the summer with little emergency quick fixes to help bring your stress levels down. But that is my my VIP waiting list for that program. And that wraps up what I want to say today. And over to you. What is your light bulb then? What are you taking away from this session? What is your action? Is there anything before September? Please drop me an email to discuss. Hello at clareyosa.com. Thank you so much. Been so interesting, fabulous session, excellent presentation. The other thing that you can do if you want something before September is a lot of the how-to for this is in my book, Ditching Imposter Syndrome, which you could download today. Any other questions? Terrific, thank you. Excellent presentation. I'll be sharing the recording company-wide. Brilliant, I'll let you all know when that's gone, when that's live. Very comfy. Oh, thank you, ordered the book now. So the key here is to take action. Okay, I can offer tools, I can offer sessions like this, but the impact of a session like this only actually has an effect in your life if you go and do something with it. Whether it's you that's struggling with burnout, whether it's a member of your team, taking an action in the next 24 hours is what will make the difference. And I'd love to hear from you. Hello at clareyosa.com. Let me know what your next 24 hour action will be. Show notes, deep dive resources, and access to Claire's inspirational weekly soul-led leaders. Email is available for you at clareyosa.com forward slash soul-led leaders.